Good morning, my friends. Welcome to another edition of the Josh Scanlon Podcast. It's Monday, May 7th, 2018. The school year is winding down. Hallelujah. So it's final exam a week for some of my kids. And uh, and it's uh, it's always nerve-wracking during final exams. Oh, how so glad I am that I'm no longer in school to have to deal with that crap. Oh. And we tell want to talk about an issue I'm debating with this guy on uh, YouTube about social security. And uh, this guy is whatever. People say what they got to say. One thing about the internet is people say stuff without really putting any thought into it. And uh, it just is easy uh, to, to make snide comments without uh, having any basis of it or even be rude. And that's too bad because I think the internet could actually be a welcome uh, educational tool. And it is absolutely. Unfortunately, it does seem to be dominated by people uh, who who haven't thought through their arguments, and it's uh, it's too bad. And when you and those kind of people actually tend to ruin it for everybody with just you know petty uh, ad hominem attacks. And that's not the case happening to me, but you see it throughout. And so sometimes it's best just to avoid it. But this guy's argument was that people who hadn't paid into Social Security shouldn't get any money back from it, and uh, and and his including spouses. All right. And uh, and I just find that to be just blatantly discriminatory. And so you think about it from a housewife's perspective. All right. Housewife will sacrifice her career. And I'm saying she it could be a he in this day and age. And that's fine. But we'll just use her uh, to raise her children. All right. If we know anything about society is that a, uh, a families that stay together, the children of those families are better attuned to society more. And what I mean by that, they're a whole lot less likely to commit crimes, a whole lot less likely to be on the government dole, a whole lot less likely to be involved in illicit trade and whatnot. It's just a fact, my friends. A two-parent society, the children from a two-parent society are going to be a net benefit to society. Does not mean kids from two-parent societies can't go awry. I'm not saying that. We'll never say that. It's silly to say that. Does not mean that kids from single-parent families cannot become... Uh, ben Carson, for instance, cannot become Dr. Carson. I'm not saying that. I am from a broken home myself. And yes, I did have some uh, uh, some issues growing up. But, you know, look, here I am today as a uh, as a happily married man with four children and married for going on 20 years. And so it, it things are without question. <laughs> you cannot pigeonhole anybody to anything. It's silly to do that. Every individual is unique, but without question. If you live into a community, if you have to decide where to go to a community to live, are you going to plant your uh, are you going to plant your family in a place that's full of single parent homes or townhomes, or are you going to plant your family in a place that's full of dual parent houses uh, with kids are raised by mom and dad at home? And it's not even debatable, my friends. I just don't pretend that you'll do otherwise because it's not. If you're going to raise your kids and send them to school, you're going to look at greatschools.org. As much as I hate that, that's just a simple way to at least get a gauge of the community you're going to send your kids in. And I guarantee you, without question, without fail, every single school district in gradeschools.org with an A or plus will have a uh, just a huge contingent of dual parent households. Not single parent households, dual parent households. And I'm just it's just a fact. And you can debate it. You can call it discriminatory. It doesn't matter. The facts are families that have a mom and dad are better for society than families that just have one single parent. Now, what does that have to do with Social Security? Because one of the ways that dual parent families uh, 
can can be better off for society is there's two things you can do. One of the spouses stays home to raise the children or both spouses work. I'm not going to get a debate on that. But the facts are two parent families are more for a better, stable society than one parent families. That's a fact. Not in every case. Again, I'm not going to say this again. I'm just going to say it right now. Every situation is different. There are single parent families that do just fine. There are double parent families or dual parent families that are just jacked up. Everybody knows this. By and large, the averages, though, say dual parent families are better for society because their kids are better. That's all there is to it. Not every time I get that. And I'm not going to talk about that again. But dual parent families have two choices. Both parents can work or one parent can stay home and raise the kids. I don't care what your choice is. I absolutely don't. And my choice, we, uh, my wife sacrificed her career to be at home to raise the children. She had a good career as a bond analyst at a large mutual fund company, which she was making more than I was when uh, we first had our first child back when she got pregnant in 1999. And so she has since sacrificed that career for going on 20 years now to raise the children. So essentially, she hasn't paid into Social Security other than what she paid initially uh, you know, for the first, I guess, six years of after, not even six, I guess, three years since she graduated college. And so she doesn't have the 10 quarters um, in terms of that's all she did work when she was in high school and whatnot. So if she did not work when she's in high school and did not work when she's in college, uh, which she did, she would not have enough to receive a Social Security benefit because she hasn't got the 40 quarters or the 10 years of, of receiving a taxable income for Social Security. So this guy is saying she should not get a benefit from Social Security. Because she hasn't paid into it, she's basically essentially stealing from the system. And I, I just sit there and I think this is just absurd to say because she didn't steal from the system. She actually enhanced the system by allowing her children to be raised in a stable home with all that comes from a benefit to society of, of children being raised in a stable environment. That means they're less likely to commit crimes, they're less likely to go on the dole, they're less likely to be welfare, they're less likely to abuse people, they're less likely to go to jail, less likely to engage in illegal trade. I mean, all these things are net benefit, even if she herself did not contribute to the Social Security system. So my argument, of course, is, well, I mean, at the end of the day, she her max she will get in today's numbers from Social Security, my, my spouse, is one half of my primary insurance amount. The max of my PIA is 2,800 bucks. That's it. All right. So the max she will get, this is the absolute max. She won't get a penny more than this off of my record. Cause again, she didn't pay into it. It'd be paid off of my record, be 1400 bucks a month and 1400 bucks a month. If that is what's going to break the government, then we're in a world of hurt. That's for sure. And so this guy's law, oh, don't you see she's breaking the government? And she, I didn't use her as an example, but just uh, $1,400 a month. That's what's causing the social security to implode is basic silliness on this in his core, but whatever. All right. So $1,400 a month. I said, okay, well, if you hate the spousal benefit, because remember a spousal benefit is just half of the breadwinner's PIA. And remember a PIA is the amount you get at your full retirement age. So my PIA is when I'm 67. That'll be my full retirement age at 67. The max I can get, and again, this is just using today's numbers for a primary insurance amount is about $2,800 at my PIA, which means the max spousal benefit that anyone can get today, the max is $1,400 because the spousal benefit is just one half of the primary earner's uh, PIA. And so today, the primary earner's PIA, the max is $2,800, which means the maximum spousal benefit is $1,400. 
I have a, I can guarantee you the vast majority of spousal benefits don't come anywhere near 1400 bucks. I guarantee it. But that is the max that social security is quote unquote on the hook to pay for people who do not contribute. So my argument to him was, well, if you hate the spousal benefit, well, hell, you must hate the survivor benefit even more because the survivor benefit is 100% of my benefit. My benefit, regardless if it's PIA, if I took it early or if I took it later. So whatever I am getting at the day I die, I will relinquish to my surviving spouse. So if I have a 2,800 month PIA and I delay for four years, that means my uh, earnings will increase by 1.32. That means I'll have $3,700 a month as a benefit if I delay taken from my PIA until I'm 70 with my delayed earnings credits. So if this guy's upset about my spouse receiving the max $1,400 as a spousal benefit, She's going to receive $3,700 as a survivor benefit because she will get my amount of money that I got, which is based on my PIA, but it's absolutely the number is dictated by the date I took my Social Security, be it 62, 66, or 70, or any year in between there. And she hasn't put anything in again. So this guy is up in arms about the $1,400 a month she's going to get. Well, it's going to be $3,700 a month, and that's not going to adjust it for inflation. So. She's going to get $3,700 a month at my death. And she certainly will get that because she is four years younger than me and she's a woman. She will survive me uh, 90% chance that she'll survive me. So, and so he's arguing that, oh, well, so I, he, of course, he didn't make the case, uh, an argument against that. So it, then he finally, I, I pulled out and So you must hate the survivor benefit then if you're so against the spouse benefit. He goes, yeah, that's, that's why we're doomed to the social security. I said, so would you prefer that? She received nothing, nothing at all as a benefit. And so basically all my benefit is gone, which goes back into the Social Security Administration. And they didn't put into it. The Social Security Administration to pay anything is my taxes withheld, my employer's taxes withheld. And so if I did not receive my benefit in terms of, let's say I died at 72, um, <laughs> I didn't receive nearly what I put into it. And now my surviving spouse is a pauper because she will not receive my Social Security benefit. And so he goes, have you, I guess you've never heard of life insurance, huh? And that's, uh, this is why I really wanted to talk about this because I'm like, dude, do you understand how life insurance works? And this is a drives me flipping crazy because everybody hates life insurance when they have to buy it, but then they always use that as an opportunity for someone else to use it as opposed to drawing on social security. So let's just say I'm 72 years old. And I want to buy a life insurance policy because they just changed the law. This guy's now president. They just changed the law that says if you haven't contributed to Social Security, you're not going to get any benefit from it. All right. So now that's the law. So my wife hasn't contributed to Social Security. I'm 72. I'm like, oh, man, they just changed the law. What am I going to do when I what is she going to do when I die? You know, let's just say I haven't saved that much or let's just I mean, we're raising four kids for heaven's sake. So the cost to raise children is expensive, which is a cost that we're not putting to retirement accounts. And, you know, rightly or wrongly, not everybody's making 150,000 bucks a year. So if you're a family making 70,000 a year, which is actually more than the average income in the America today, you're actually doing OK. That's a fact. So if you're making seventy thousand dollars a year, you're putting in three thousand a year into your you know 401k, your company's matching 
you know, you're putting $6,000 a year into your 401k. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's certainly not going to live. You give you a hundred thousand dollars a year to live on. And so when I die under this new president who just passed signed this bill that said, if you didn't pay into social security, you don't get any benefit. What happens to that to my spouse at that point? She'll blow through my 401k savings in, in no time at all, especially if there's a mortgage, which is another reason to pay down your debt. Well, his argument is we well, could have bought some life insurance. All right. So now I'm 72 years old. I just passed the law. So I go and I get a quote from USAA for life insurance. What do you think the cost is for a 72 year old man? All right. Now, let's just assume like a lot of 72 year old men. I'm a little bit overweight and I have blood medication. A, I'm probably not going to be underwritten for any life insurance because the life insurance companies are stupid. They have to make money. If they if it costs you. So say $5,000 in premiums and it costs insurance at your death, $150,000 of cash value. Um, and you only died after paying a couple thousand dollars of premiums. No insurance companies, they are going to take that risk. And if they did, they won't be along for business. It's just not going to happen. So essentially they're saying, all right, Josh, you're 72 years old. You take, you're a little bit overweight. You take some blood thinner or whatever, some medication to keep you from heart attack. Uh, the vast majority of people who are doing this are you know, not going to live until they're 83 years old. So if you want a life insurance policy for 150000 bucks, and we don't think you're going to survive but 10 years, we're going to have to make your premium high enough to make it profitable for us to stay in business, which means your premium on that. Let's just say you have 10 years of premiums before we think you're going to die, which even less than that. You have $150,000 death benefit. That means just to break even, your premium would be $15,000 a year. And that's just for the insurance company to break even. Now, you might argue, well, they can invest that $15,000 a year uh, with other people. And that's true. Um, so they, their premium might not be fifteen; it might be $13,000 a year. All right. Or you might say, well, yeah, but some people are going to survive beyond the 10 years. Well, that's how the premiums work. They say some people are going to live longer. Some people are going to die quicker. So we're going to use these premiums in mass to give you a, a premium that you can, you know, that, that will cover you. If you survive our longevity tables, you're going to pay more in premiums. If you die before our longevity tables, you're going to be less in premiums for you specifically. But at the end of the day, the insurance company is not a zero sum. It's a zero sum game. They've got to make profits. They have to make profits to stay in business or else they can't offer the insurance. So it's not just going to be. We're going to give you enough premiums to cover the guy who dies early, and we're going to make him enough premiums to cover the die guy who dies later. We're not going to mix all those into zero, so we're going to net out nothing. The insurance company has to make money, so they're going to put a premium on top of the premium that you get paid is so they can stay profitable. I know that's confusing, but if you think about the insurance company perspective, they got two guys. One lives 20 years, one lives 10 years. The average age is 15 years, all right? So they're going to say, we need to get enough premium to cover 15 years of average age plus any profits that we need on top of that. And so let's just say each person has $150,000 of death benefit. They know for a fact the average age is 15 years. That means the average premium is going to be 10000 bucks just to cover the death benefit, but they still need to have money to cover the cost of the insurance to underwrite it as well. Either way, we're talking five-figure premiums. That's a fact. On 150000 bucks, just five-figure premiums. And what these insurance companies do, too, as you get older, they don't just offer you 30-year level terms. They'll, they might offer annual renewable, which means the older you get, the more expensive the insurance costs. So if you don't die in year one, they're going to raise the fees. 
because they're more likely to die year two, year three, year four. So if you don't die, they're going to keep raising their premiums on you. That's called an annual renewable term. And that way, when you're 82 years old and you survived what they thought you would, they're like, yikes, uh, we're on the hook for 150000 bucks, but this guy's living longer than we anticipated. Um, he's going to die sooner. We're going to have to raise the premiums to make it so we can make money. That's how life insurance works. There's no getting around that. So now as you get older, now 72, now I'm 82, my premiums are no longer 10 or 15,000. Now they're 20,000 bucks because the insurance company is still on the hook for the 150,000. And what they want is they want me to drop off. That's just a fact. They do not want to have to pay the $150,000 of death benefit. Now you could say, okay, well, I'm not going to buy those annual renewable terms. I'm going to buy a set term. All right, go ahead as your 72 year old man and try to get a 20 year term that's set. For 20 years, a premium, a fixed premium for 20 years. It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. The reason being because the insurance company says you're 72 now. If we have to cover you until you're 92, um, you're, you're going to die before the life insurance policy expires, which means we are on the hook to pay out 150000 bucks, which means we're going to charge you significantly in order to cover that uh, expense that we have. So if it is a 20-year term that you're going to try to buy, I guarantee you it'll be through the roof in terms of premiums. It'll be insanely expensive and you won't do it. You're just not going to do it because the insurance company says, if we're going to be on the hook for this $150,000, we are going to make it worth our while. They'll offer it to you. I mean, they will if you're underwritten, but you're going to pay out the notes. Now, what if you came and get underwritten? Because the insurance company says, look, yeah, the average 72-year-old man say lives until they're 82, whatever. Uh, but you're not average. You're taking blood thinner. You're overweight. Maybe, I don't know what it is. You have knee surgery and all this. They know how the medical history works. You got high triglycerides, all this stuff. Your BMI, body mass index is not normal. So we are not even going to underwrite you. So now you came to get life insurance. So what do you do then? So now you got a surviving spouse because the new guy is president of the United States. He signed this legislation that says if you haven't paid the Social Security, you don't get any benefit back from it. So I die before, well before I got a chance to recoup my expenses I paid into Social Security on my FICA taxes, then my employer's FICA taxes as well. So what do you do then? I couldn't get insurance. I didn't get all my money back from Social Security. Now my wife is destitute because she has no survivor benefit. Okay, so the other argument would be, well, you should have took out life insurance earlier. Okay, maybe so. All right, so uh, maybe one should I have taken out then? They're big guys. Should I have taken out when I was 30? All right. So how much do, does it cost as a 30 year old? It's not very expensive as a 30 year old because you're in good shape. You're never going to be in better shape than you are today in terms of cost of life insurance. But how many 30 year old kids are actually planning for 50 years of life insurance premiums? Nobody is. Now, you could even say you could take out a whole life policy. Yes, you could. Absolutely. That'd be the way to go in this case is you could take out a whole life policy when you're young. That's there for your whole life. My friends, have you ever quoted a whole life policy, even as a youngster? Whole life policies are a heck of a lot more expensive than just a term because they're there literally for your whole life. And insurance companies have the actuarial tables to dictate to the person the likelihood of you dying in any given year and how much that's going to cost if you do die to them as an insurance company. They know this. And so if you're 30 years old and you're like, maybe you said, oh, you know, this new president saying, my surviving spouse is going to get my social security. I mean, I'd say 1% of the 30 year old population will figure this out. I better buy a whole life policy. So that way my, my wife, who I've not been married to yet, 
Um, when she die, when I die, she can actually have some money to live on. I'll buy this whole life policy that's going to cover me literally for my whole life. Well, how much is that whole life policy going to cost even as a 30-year-old? It's going to be four times the expense of a term because it literally covers your whole life. So even though it's cheaper than it is as much cheaper as 72-year-old, it's still expensive relative to a term, still expensive relative to your cash flow that you're getting as a newly minted college graduate in his first job. I and mean, no one's going to do this. Uh, life insurance is not the panacea. Everyone always says, you ever heard of life insurance? Yeah, I've heard of life insurance. Do you understand how it works? Life insurance companies are not stupid. They're not in the business of giving away life insurance death benefits. They're not. They have to make it work and they have to be profitable or else no one will ever buy life insurance again if the life insurance company looks like they're going to go bankrupt. The only way life insurance works in this kind of scenario is if you have the cash flow and the foreknowledge to buy a significant size policy when you're young and you're in good shape. No one is going to be able to do that unless they have good cash flow and they have the knowledge to do that. And they see the risk inherent in not being able to leave a legacy to the surviving spouse. No one's going to be able to do that. B. When you're older, once you hit 60 years old, life insurance becomes doggone expensive. It doesn't mean it can't happen. It just means it becomes expensive to the average American. You're just, it just, it's just not, it's not cheap. It's just no other way around that. And that's even if you get underwritten. If you don't get underwritten, then what are you going to do? Uh, it drives me crazy. All these people, you ever heard of life insurance? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You ever seen how it works in actuality? Trust me, folks, I have. I've seen life insurance in actuality for people who have illnesses that they suddenly were faced with and they did not feel like they saved enough to take care of their surviving spouse. It's horrible because they're not going to get underwritten and they're going to leave their spouse with a boatload of debt and about $100,000 in an IRA. And that's just, it's not, it's tragic. There's no other way around it. And thank the good Lord we have the survivor benefit from Social Security. My concern is, do they actually plan for how to take the survivor benefit? And the answer is probably no, they're either. And that's another diatribe. Life insurance is not a panacea. So the question that you need to ask or need to answer, if life insurance is the way to go, we doggone better take out a life insurance policy when you can afford it. And a term is just fine. A term policy means it's level for a certain amount of years, 30 years, let's just say. So you're 60, you're 35 years old today. You just got married, got a couple of bouncing babies. So I'm going to get a 30 year fixed term. It costs me 50 bucks a month, you know, whatever. There's a convertibility option in there that says no matter what happens, no matter what happens, I could come down with heart disease. I could come down with diabetes, blah, 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 blah. I can convert that term policy, which is a renting policy, to a permanent policy, which is an equity policy, a cash value policy, before the 30-year term expires. And I can convert it without ever having to go to underwriting again, which means that I do not need to have my blood drawn do not need to have my meds checked. The company, insurance company has to, by contractual obligation, allow me to use that permanent policy, a term policy, and convert it to a permanent policy that will be there for the rest of my life. And, and I'll be underwritten as I was when I was 35 years old, which is usually much, much, much more preferable than when I was uh, 65 years old. The moral of the story just going back to this guy, if we're going to use life insurance, regardless of how we're going to do it, you've got to buy it young when you're in good health. You've got to buy it for a long term 
and you got to buy what is called conversion conversion ability convertibility opportunity that's in there can it be converted to a permanent policy without underwriting if you don't you're making a horrific horrific mistake you've got to do that all right the other guy this other guy would say well then your wife should have worked okay she, yeah she should have but what if i die before she had a chance to go back to the workforce i mean so just uh my point isn't just a bag on this guy, which is pretty easy to do because it's silly. But my point is to say, if we're going to argue that life insurance is a panacea to take care of people who are otherwise going to be destitute, well, you doggone better know how life insurance works. And trust me, I've seen it where people are just in just horrible. They're in horrible states and they're just sad because they know they know that their surviving spouse is not going to be well off because they did not have replacement for her to live on when they died and they got some disease, they got some illness, they got something that hit them like a ton of bricks and they don't know what to do. And they go to life insurance because they think they can get it as a panacea. And the life insurance company says, hell no, we don't want that risk. We're sorry, but that's not our obligation. <sighs> all right. But that's all my, that's my diatribe today. Understand life insurance for the love of Mary, understand life insurance. If you have it, you need to dive into that. If you don't, you need to dive into it. If you need help, let me know. I'll tell you what to do. Absolutely. But don't just be a sucker for life insurance. Say it's bad or say I can just go get it as if I'm going to the store and buying a thing of corn. It doesn't work like that. Life insurance companies know to the person what their profitability is going to be on you. And if they feel you're not profitable to them, they're not going to give you policy. End of story. All right, so our song of the day, I'm going to go back to Reverend Horton Heeks. I just love the good Reverend. It's a band. Uh, the Reverend the Reverend is the lead singer for it. I forgot his name off the top of my head, but uh, the band is Reverend Horton Heat. Um, Jimbo is a bassist, and we always uh, – just a funny guy. Um, I forgot the name of the guy who's uh, the Reverend, goes by the Reverend. Now I'm drawing a blank. Anyway, this is off their uh, one of their albums. Uh, Never Gonna Stop It is their, uh, their song called This Man. <laughs> just love it. It's my politics 100%. Lyrics go, they can just print all the money they need, make it illegal just to grow weed. They can fly around in their private jets. They can tell us that they know best. Steal from us with a swipe of a pen. It's okay for them, but for us, it's a sin. Live off me and live like a king, pretending they deserve the golden ring. Their electric cars still burn coal, but they're never going to stop rock and roll. I love it. Their electric cars, they still burn coal. Um, judges can't stop it. Foreign bankers can't stop it. Politicians can't stop it. New world order can't stop it. Armies will try to take our gold, but they're never going to stop it. Rock and roll. They can profit. Uh, they can they can profit off a deal from a patriotic tax while sitting on the board of Golden Sacks of Golden Slacks. Cheat on their wives with a cute intern. History's lesson they'll never learn. Charge us a tax to build a road with a toll, but they're never going to stop rock and roll. They've got men with guns wherever they go, but not for us. It's the status quo. They want you dead or locked away. There's too many people, or so they say. Millions of votes on the, on the government dole, but they're never going to stop it. Rock and roll. The Bushes can't stop it. Obama can't stop it. United Nations can't stop it. Al-Qaeda can't stop it. It's getting pretty hot in the rabbit hole, but they're never going to stop it. Rock and roll. Again, more rockability, just good old-fashioned 50s-type rock and roll with a, a new uh, modern kind of, uh, uh, I guess, beat or rhythm, I suppose. Just fantastic. So Reverend Horton Heat, Never Gonna Stop is the song of the day. Just a great, great song. I hope you enjoy it. 
Uh, so don't forget to go to the YouTube channel at uh, youtube.com, then type in Heritage Wealth Planning. Uh, my website is heritagewealthplanning.com. Don't forget to go there uh, for all the blog posts, um, podcast, and YouTube episodes. I kind of put that as my resource there. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the Josh Ganlin Podcast. We'll see you guys next time on the Josh Ganlin Podcast. Thanks, guys. Stop it. Right.